Our New Testament reading today is in the Gospel of John, chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. The Gospel of John, chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. And as he, Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. And our sermon text today is Ephesians chapter six, verses one through three. Ephesians six, one through three. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may well go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. Man, uh, I pray your heart is full, my heart is full, being here with you, singing songs of truth, and singing with one another and to one another. Uh, what a blessing. So praise God for this morning, that this is the day that he has made. This is the day of salvation. This is the day for us to gather and, and, and as his children, just proclaim and worship and exalt his holy name. So let's pray one more time, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll look at our passage and go to the scriptures this morning. Pray with me. Father God, we thank you so much for this morning. Lord, as we have read and have sung and have already prayed, Lord, let the light of your face and the light of your countenance shine on us this morning. Open our eyes that we may behold and see wondrous things from your law and from your word. Lord, increase and enlarge the capacity of our hearts this morning that we may know more fully of your majestic love and authority. And may we, Lord, in turn, respond in love and respond in, in, in willing and joyful submission to that. Lord, thank you so much for this time to gather. Lord, I pray that we will not take it for granted. Lord, help my, my weak words and our weak hearts, Father, collectively, to, to see, to grasp, and to behold and respond accordingly this morning. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for uh, all that you have done so that we may be justified 
and adopted into your family to share with you all these very great and precious promises. Lord, remind us this morning and work in us for our good and for your great and matchless glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I was able and fortunate and very uh, blessed to have the opportunity to preach a few weeks ago. It was Father's Day, and in preparation of the Father's Day message, this, this Ephesians, really all of Ephesians, and then in particular as it gets into spirit-filled living and our family relationships, and I, I studied and, and uh, preached on uh, Ephesians 6.4 about fathers and, and in particular and parents in general are not exasperating or provoking children. But the whole passage is wonderful. So having this opportunity uh, to preach again and my heart being so full, I'm just kind of wanted to continue and stay uh, in this passage this morning. So, uh, uh, so with that said, the text this morning uh, that, um, that, we, that we just read, that Ray read uh, for us uh, in Ephesians 6, 1, children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. It falls, it's very important to always look for and study and understand the context because it falls in a much broader context in Ephesians. After three chapters of just magnificent doctrinal and gospel truths, in chapter one, we read all about our rich spiritual blessings that we have in Christ and that we've been predestined and called forth to receive these through redemption and salvation. In chapter 2, we, we learn all about how we are saved by grace through faith. It's a gift. It's not our works. God has graciously come and done all that is necessary to save us, to save me and to save you. Then as it moves to chapter 3, we read all about our unity in Christ and our fellowship with him and with one another and that the mysteries of the gospel are all revealed and summed up in Christ. And then in chapter four, it starts turning our attention, all right, to how we should live, how we ought to walk in light of all these blessings of the gospel and of the promises and salvation we've obtained in Christ. For example, and, and you can just kind of look, if you're in Ephesians 4, uh, you can just look and follow along. In verse 1, we read, I therefore urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have received. Respond accordingly to these gospel truths, to what God is working in you and has done in you and is doing for you. Respond accordingly. Walk in a manner worthy of this. In verse 17, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles or as the world does, and as they do in the futility of their minds, then in verse 22 and 23, put off your old self and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Then in chapter 5, verse 1, be imitators of God as beloved children. And then as we approach our text uh, in Ephesians 5.18, we read, don't get drunk with wine, which is debauchery. That is sinful indulgence. But rather, as a contrast, be filled with the Spirit. And isn't that a very interesting contrast, all right? Don't be filled up with wine. That's what it takes to, to be drunk with wine. You've, you've drunk too much of it. Okay, don't drink too much wine, but rather 
right? Be filled with the Spirit. Drink in the Spirit. Take in, indulge yourself in the Spirit. That's not sinful indulgence. That's holy indulgence. That's right, all right? So be filled with the Spirit. And then it just goes in, in verses 18 through 21, we just read of the Spirit-filled life and how it plays out. So we address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and our hearts make melody to the Lord, and we're giving thanks to God corporately and individually as his people at all times and in all things. And we're serving one another. We're looking out for the needs and putting them ahead of our own. This is the, these are characteristics and the fruit of a spirit-filled life. And then it goes into households and how our households ought to be operating. What a spirit-filled household looks like. And so we get spiritual instructions given to husbands and wives, parents, children, servants, masters. So this context within the context is very important because these roles that we're called to fulfill don't come easily. Commands like obey, submit, sacrificially love and lay down your life for someone else, respect, etc. they don't come naturally especially when all the parties, yourself and myself included, aren't perfect, aren't always worthy of it in and of ourselves. So therefore, in order to rightfully and spiritually and joyfully obey, honor, and fulfill these roles and responsibilities that God has called us forth to, we must be filled with the Spirit of God. You must be walking by the Spirit being filled with the word of Christ, letting it dwell in you richly. And you must keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. For only in beholding him and his glory will your minds be renewed and your hearts transformed to live in a manner worthy of the calling that you have received. All right, And each person in this group, all right, in, in this family structure, husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, children, right, has particular responsibilities and a calling placed on them. At the same time, each person and group in this passage has a mutual responsibility. So you have your own particular calling, but you have a mutual responsibility to one another to faithfully fulfill these duties to one another in ultimate submission to God, because God is everyone's ultimate authority. And contrary to what the world says, our family and relational problems don't stem from people fulfilling these roles. They stem from people rebelling against these roles. When I preached on Father's Day, I shared some statistics just as, as an example, all right, pointing out the moral decay in society that is directly resulting from this pandemic of fatherlessness. And these connections made between crime and delinquency uh, do uh, that, that directly connects to fatherlessness in the homes. So we saw that and see and know that when, a men, when men abandon their duties as husbands and fathers, or when women neglect their biblical calling as wives and mothers, and when children rebel against parental authority, then sin takes hold and brokenness and tragedy and heartache sets in because it's going against the way of the Lord. It's like it's an out-of-tune string 
on a guitar. You ever heard that? Tinted to grab Ty's guitar, but I know better. I won't mess with it. But man, all you got to do is twist one string, you know, just a, just a, just a half, a, just a half a turn, right? A little, a one string out of tune, just the whole chord is off. The whole, the whole harmony system is messed up. Okay. Or it's like driving down the road. You got a flat tire. That one tire just, it, it's, it's out of whack. It's not functioning properly and doing what it's intended to do. In the same way, when we as families are, have, have one of these not functioning properly, it's out of whack. It's not working, okay? But on the other hand, when you tune that guitar, change that tire, that car just rolling down the, the street, you know? And that guitar is just playing beautiful and harmonious music, all right? And is there anything more beautiful in our churches, in our family, our corporate family, and in our families at home who worship God together, who joyfully obey his commands, who faithfully fulfill their roles and eagerly strive to bless one another by their obedience and by using their gifts and their calling to honor God and to be a blessing to one another and to your families. So when all the different strings are in tune, it creates a beautiful and melodious harmony in our churches and at home. It's the way God called us. It's what he called us to. It's the way he intends it, all right? So when I spoke to fathers on Father's Day on their roles and responsibility, all right, I was studying this, and so I'm just, just keeping this going. So let's look at our text this morning. If you're there, if you're still there, just you can look at it. If you're not, Ephesians 6.1. And let's look at our text this morning, all right? First, children, first word children. Children. God is addressing you directly here. When you study this in the original language in the Greek, it's actually in the second person, all right? And the second person is you, okay? First person is like I, third person is they, these other people. But this is in the second person, all right? And so it says, children, it addresses in the third person, but now the command is to you, children, you, you listen. I have something to tell you, all right? Take this to heart. God has not unlovingly left you out of his fatherly oversight and his expectations for you, but he has very lovingly provided for you instructions so that you'll know how to grow up and live a happy and a holy life in a manner that's pleasing to the Lord. God shows you here that he cares for you and he desires your well-being and that if you're born again, you're a child of God. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and he addresses you as such in this very first word, children. All right? Just keep this in mind too as we study this passage. And as he addresses you, his, his commands and his instruction for you are not intended to be burdensome. I know it can be a struggle but they're not intended to be burdensome. They're intended to be a blessing, all right? God's commands for you and for all of us, all right, are designs of a good and gracious heavenly father. I pray you know that, and I, I trust and, and hope that you believe that with all your heart, right? We have a good and gracious heavenly father, and he wants us to walk in joy and in light and in the fullness of the joy and the pleasures of his presence as we sang about 
All right, so, um, so with that in mind, just take a little, keep your finger here. You can turn to Proverbs uh, chapter four, one through 12. Listen to the heart of, of this, this father. The Proverbs were primarily written from this perspective of a father just wanting to bestow on his children wisdom and instruction, all right, for these same things we just talked about. In Ephesians four, just kind of hear, hear this passage, okay? It says, hero sons, a father's instruction. Be attentive so that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the side of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. See that? And live. That's the goal. That's the heart. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her. She will keep you. The beginning of wisdom, oh, sorry. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. Now, do you hear it? You could keep reading and get it. All right, but do you just hear the heartbeat? All right, this is not burdensome to know the way of the Lord and to walk in the way of the Lord for all of us, for we're all children of God, all right, is intended to be a blessing, a crown, an honor, to bring forth joy and fulfillment. It's what you were created for. It's what I was created for. We were created for the glory of God. And the more we align ourselves up and walk by the Spirit in that glory to glorify Him, the more you'll see and know and experience all right, these intangible blessings of joy and peace right, and love and security and purpose. Right? So, so that's, that's the thrust here. All right, so what's the command? Next word, children, obey your parents. The word obey, all right, it's a Greek word, all right, and I'm not a Greek scholar, but I'm just going to share it with you, hupakuo, all right, the reason I share it is because I just want to point something out in it, akuo is where we get the English word acoustics, and the acoustics, all right, it's something whether it's in an instrument or in a room, is where we're, it's the science of studying how to best hear, all right, to promote sound that, that we hear and attend to in, in the most efficient and clear way. So, so that's kind of at the root of this word. And hoopa means like under, up under. So the word literally means to come up under and to listen to attentively. So a more particular definition might be this. When we're called to obey, and we all are in a, some, in a, in, to God, Right? So this is really for all of us, by the way. I meant to say that. Kids, this, is, this passage is addressed to you. All right? And these are principles for you and your walk and what God expects of you in the home. But listen, but the principles of obedience all right, are for all of us. So I pray you all glean and grow and are sanctified in this study. 
So, um, uh, so a more particular definition is to listen with attentiveness and respond positively to what is heard. Uh, it's the same word used in Acts 12. After Peter's been released from prison, or not released, they didn't release him, the angel released him. He's been miraculously delivered from prison, and he goes where the apostles and the the early, where the believers are, and he knocks at the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda hears the knock, and it says, and she, uh, she came to answer. She heard the knock, and she came to answer, to heed that knock, and to let him in. All right, that's the same word. It's also used uh, when Jesus rebuked the storm and the winds and the waves and the clouds obeyed his voice. And when he said, be still, they obeyed and they were still. The verb is a present active imperative. What does that mean? Listen, it means this. It's just ongoing. It's just always present in your life. We're always called to do it. Children, you're always, while you're under the authority and instruction of your parents, you're always called to obey them, okay? And so it doesn't specify particular times or conditions. As a matter of fact, if you go over, all right, a couple of books in Colossians, there's what we call a parallel passage. These passages in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 4 and 5, just they, they mimic each other, all right? The Holy Spirit inspired, inspired Paul to, to kind of to say the same basic things. And in Ephesians 3.20, listen how it's worded. Children, Obey your parents in everything, okay? It's something you should always be striving to do in all things. Now, I will point out this. There's, it's, there's a condition. There is an exemption that I just want to mention, okay? Because in whatever, in whatever form of authority we're dealing with, there are people who abuse that authority. And there are times in our government all the way down, unfortunately, into our homes where some earthly authority, right, if they ever expect you to sin or to disobey or dishonor God, then you don't obey that, all right? We, we won't obey the government just like the apostles didn't. If they say, you can't talk about Jesus, that's what happened in Acts chapter 4, the apostles were preaching about Jesus and their rulers, their governing authorities that God put over them to obey and to submit to, all right, in that reasonable context, okay? Well, when, it, when they told him to do something that wasn't biblical, that didn't honor God, you know what their response was? They said this, same thing we should always say, and these children, you should always say, whenever facing a situation where someone's telling you to do something, or prompting you to do something that doesn't honor the Lord, you say that I must obey God rather than man because he's the highest authority. And these other authorities are authorities he has given, right? But God is the highest authority, right, is who we always obey. He's our ultimate authority, and it's never right to disobey him. So obey God first. Now, but apart from that, and I hope none of you are ever faced with those difficult decisions. I kind of have a feeling in our culture that's happening that we may be getting to a point where we get more and more pressure not to speak truth, not to preach the word, not to talk about Jesus and truth according to God on things like marriage and, and life in the womb. But anyway, when that time comes, may God give us the grace, all right, to be faithful and strong. So, but apart from that, listen, the command is pretty, it's comprehensive, it's universal, it's, it's simply stated, all right? Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Now, it doesn't give any other type of exemptions that the scripture, 
right, might otherwise give. But in our passage and in this context of just normal family and church life, no exemptions are given. It doesn't say, children, obey your parents in the Lord unless you've had a bad day or unless you're, you know, you're hangry, you know, or you, uh, someone made you mad, your sibling took your toy, all right? Or it doesn't say this, parents, uh, children, obey your parents in the Lord if, if they're doing well today. I mean, if they're deserving it today, then yes, get, offer them your submission and your obedience. Doesn't say that, does it? All right? It doesn't say if you agree with what they're doing, right? And that's important because that's exactly what this is implying, that while as you're a child or while as you're a person under authority, the whole idea of submission, right, is that you would come up under somebody and say, listen, while I'm under your authority as a parent or as an employer or as a, as a citizen or as a, as a congregant in a church, while I'm under an authority, I'll do my best to honor, to submit, right, and, and, and to... Uh, to walk in that with joy and with a willingness. Because listen, let's face it, our, our church cultures and our family cultures have nuances. Not everything is straightforwardly biblical. In our homes, here's a beautiful thing about our unity, is there's so much diversity in choices, and this is, this is connected, but in choices like uh, how we view education, technology and the use of technology, money, spending, food, nutrition, Okay, there's all recreation, time. There's all kinds of convictions and principles and families and churches working these things out to the best of their ability, right? A whole host of areas that aren't black and white. And yet, whatever principles and expectations and family culture your parents have created in your home and for you, okay, your calling and God's design for you is to obey to come up under it in willing and joyful submission and to see it, as I shared earlier, not as something to begrudge, but as a blessing and as an opportunity for you to be a blessing because it is a blessing. Boy, when husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, children, when we're all loving each other and committed to honoring the Lord and fulfilling our roles, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. It is a blessing. And you're a blessing to your parents when you obey and show forth your love for them in that obedience, okay? So a few more principles. One, a true obedience, all right, is comprehensive. It's, it's, it's universal uh, in, in, that, in that context. Number two, obedience is a, it requires a humble trust, right? Hebrews 11, 8 it says, by faith, Abraham, hupakuo, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going, right? He obeyed. He said, Lord, you've called. Lord, I'm following. All right. He didn't question and say, well, why do we have to do this? Or where are we going? Or where are we going to get food? Like he just didn't question. All right. He exemplified godly obedience. God called, gave the command, and he obeyed when he was called to go to a place, and he didn't even know where he was going. Kids, in, like, in, a, in a like manner, your parents' convictions, their rules, their expectations, they all fall under God's special providence for your life. It's not like other families. I, I, I encourage you and implore you, don't use that excuse. Well, so-and-so, they get to do this 
all right? Well, that's their family, and they'll have to answer to God, right? Your calling and the providence God has placed on you is to, to belong and be a spirit-filled part of your family and your family's convictions and your family's culture, okay? Your call to honor and obey your parents is a great opportunity for you to exercise your faith and to display humble trust in the Lord, all right? And strive to put forth these exhortations because complaining and arguing flies against the face of the scripture and of honoring the Lord. Philippians 2 says, do everything without complaining or arguing, everything. Hebrews 13, 5 says, be content with what you have. And 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, and whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Exercise that, put that into practice, it's for you. And it applies to the everyday living. It applies to your family. It applies to your obedience, all right? God's called us all to do everything without complaining, arguing, being content, doing all to the glory of God in whatever station or circumstance. Listen, do it all to the glory of God. Let's exercise that. Let's walk in that, all right? And let's strive to obey that, all right? Now, that leads to the third characteristics. True obedience is connected to faith, it's woven into faith, okay? It, uh, Spurgeon, I'm gonna quote Spurgeon, he said this, faith and obedience are bound up in the same bundle. He that obeys God, trusts God. And he that trusts God, obeys God. If you desire Christ for a perpetual guest, give him all the keys of your heart. Let not one cabinet be locked up from him. Give him the range of every room and the key of every chamber. Okay, so, so obedience is directly linked to your faith and your trust in the Lord. Romans 16, 26 says this. In talking about the mystery of salvation, it says that this mystery has been revealed and made known to all the nations to bring about, you ready? Here it is. The obedience that comes from faith. All right, so the, the true obedience that's pleasing to the Lord and that strengthens you and brings forth joy, all right, must stem from faith in Christ, all right? Trust in the gospel. True God-honoring obedience comes from a heart of faith full of love and trust in the Lord for all things. And last principle of obedience I'll pull out this morning. It's not exhaustive for sure, but in Romans six seventeen we read this. But thanks be to God, that you who were once slaves of sin, sin excuse me, have become hupakuo, you have obeyed or become obedient, okay, from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Did you catch that? Obedience is from the heart. These are all related, okay? And the heart of the matter is always the heart. The very essence of full obedience must involve the heart. Just ponder with me. Think about this with me, okay? External obedience is not enough, all right? Mom or dad could say, you know, hey, Pete, you know, uh, not Pete Pearson, just trying to think of a word. Uh, uh, little Petey, you know, take out the garbage. Now, Pete, Petey can take out the garbage and he can do the thing but if on the way out, he's wanting to kick the door, he's like, why do I always have to take out the garbage? This is the worst, smelliest chore. You know, why can't I be, you know, dust the, you know, dust the 
TV, whatever. So, but if you're complaining, just think about it. It just, it's not right, is it? It's not the essence of true obedience just to do the thing externally. Plus, it's not what you know about the Lord. The Lord looks at the heart. He's not just interested in the, what you do. He's very interested in how you do it. Okay, he's very concerned with your motives and your reasoning. So with that said, listen, don't, don't obey and think you've, it's sufficient just to obey externally. Like Romans six seventeen says, true obedience, and this is for all of us, right? True obedience is a, is a heart issue, okay? It's from the heart. Now, Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, do it with all your heart as unto the Lord, not men. And consider Jesus on this, on this point. Consider Jesus the perfect son. How did Jesus obey the father? We get a glimpse of it in Psalm 40. It's what we call a messianic psalm. psalm. You, you kind of hear the word Messiah in there, the coming of the Messiah. Jesus is the promised one who would come to save us, right? So it's a messianic psalm, and it's, and it's, and it's, got, it's, it's prophetic. You know, it's telling us about Jesus. And it says in Psalm 40, this is like Jesus talking, a body you have prepared for me. Because you were not pleased with the sacrifices and offerings of these sinful people. They're not sufficient. They did not please you. A body you have prepared for me. All right, so the setting here in the psalmist inspiration is Jesus, like Jesus in heaven saying, okay, a body you have prepared for me. I'll go down to earth. And the context is to take a body because our sacrificial system, our works are insufficient. They can never please God in and of ourselves. Our works are dead. Our works are filthy rags, right? So in that context, so Jesus says, so a body you have prepared for me. Why was a body prepared for Jesus? You know, right? so that he could come and live a perfect life and die for us, to be the perfect sacrifice for us. And how did Jesus respond to that command? You know, here's the, here's the plan in the Trinity. Jesus, Son of God, you're gonna take on a body. You're gonna suffer, you're gonna be arrested, you're gonna be beaten, you're gonna die on a cross, you're gonna be nailed to a cross, all right? You're gonna be completely abandoned, all right? And because this is necessary, right? I'm, God, I'm going to satisfy, we're going to satisfy justice and we're going to show forth mercy to our people. And this is necessary. And so, so here it goes. And what was Jesus' response in verse eight? I delight to do your will, oh my God. Your law is within my heart. Wow, that's Jesus, the perfect son. You want me to take on a body? You want me to die, be sacrificed for, for your glory, for our glory as the Godhead, and for, for the salvation of these people? I, I delight to do it. I joyfully and willingly take this on and do this thing. Okay? So Jesus didn't come sulking, did he? He didn't come with a grudge. There was no chip on Jesus' uh, shoulder. All right. He lovingly and willingly had a strong desire to honor his father and to joyfully walk in the obedience to which he was called, okay? And we saw that true also to his earthly parents. Real quick, in Luke chapter two, all right, Jesus' family, 
all right, was very faithful. They'd come up to Jerusalem for the Passover every year. And when Jesus was 12 years old, they came to Jerusalem for the Passover and they're all heading home. Now it's not just Mary and Joseph and brothers. I mean, this was like the clan, you know, this is a big group of people, relatives and, 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 and acquaintances walking together. All right. So, but as they got about a day out of Jerusalem, you know what they realized? Where's Jesus? <laughs> See with you, so they went around and inquired, and you know some of the different you know family members and tents, and 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 Jesus wasn't there. All right, so they walked back to Jerusalem, and after three days, they found him. And where was he? He was in the temple, and he was listening, and he was asking questions, and he was discussing theology. You know, and his response when they said, "Jesus, we've been stressed out," paraphrasing a little, we've been just so worried and stressed out. You know, what have you been doing? Where have you been? And he said. Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? All right. But listen, in spite of that, because think about it. He's teaching. He's in his element. He's in his father's house. He could have easily said when they said, well, it's time to go back to Nazareth. He could have said, listen, come back and get me later or I'll meet you later. This isn't a good time for me to go back to Nazareth. Can't you see I'm about my father's business in my father's house? right? Teaching and, and leaving an impression on people because it says they were amazed at his teaching, all right? But that's not what he said, all right? He said, uh, the, script, the text says, and he was submissive to them, and he went with them, all right? So, so even to his earthly parents, when they came and said, Jesus, we got to go, he, he laid that aside, and he submitted and went with them, all right? <laughs> what a perfect and obedient son Jesus, our Savior, is. Just Praise God for his perfect obedience. Praise God for, for uh, his, his willingness, his wholehearted obedience. If he would have failed or faltered in any way, he could not be our savior and we'd be dead in our trespasses and sins. Praise God for a perfectly obedient son and all that that has accomplished for us. And on the other hand, also praise God for that example for us, of what kind of children we should be to be like Christ and imitators of God. Because if Jesus, the Son of God, obeyed with such willingness and delight, then how much more should we, who have been forgiven our sins, who have been treated with mercy and not getting what our sins deserve, how much more should we willingly and delightfully obey God in all things? May our church be filled with children of God, the body of Christ, and may our homes be filled with children who delight to obey like this, whose hearts are full of eager desire to honor and bless and obey in every way. Okay, moving on. So there's the address, children, there's the command, obey your parents. And now we're going to come to the next phrase, kind of getting into the how and the why. How? And this connects very closely. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Throughout this entire passage, of scripture, we see that all the roles are ultimately linked to the Lord. They're all God-centered. Says wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Slaves, obey your masters with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Serve not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. You see how all these roles and all our functions are God-centered, right? It ties into what we've already been teaching and talking about, right? Your, our obedience 
and, and our submission, all right, is has the Lord right as the aim or the target. Every relationship is directly connected to and associated with Jesus, okay? The way we conduct ourselves and fulfill our God-given callings is ultimately about Jesus. The Lord is the author and the creator of the family and of the church. The Lord in his relationship to his, to his people is directly reflected in these family structures. And our response and our obedience or lack of it is a direct reflection of our relationship to God, okay? And it reveals the degree to which we honor and trust him. So in other words, right, this is about God, all right? When you obey a parent, when you love your wife, when you respect, honor, all right, your husband, all right, you're doing it for the Lord. It's him to where you, whom you'll ultimately give an account, all right? So, and as I stated, ideally, everyone in the family should be carrying out their responsibilities faithfully and in a godly manner, but that's just not always the case, is it? It's a broken and a fallen world, right? Parents, spouses, and children, we are all far from perfect, and we all fall very short and have a lot of shortcomings. So thankfully, these verses don't place the condition on you or on me, ultimately, okay? No one's role or function is excused because the other party isn't performing their functions very well. Let me give a few examples, all right? A weak husband... All right, doesn't excuse a wife in the Lord's eyes, all right, from being disrespectful or to be disrespectful, all right? She's not excused because her husband is weak, right? Um, She's still called to respect her husband because she's doing it for who? The Lord, right? A uh, A disrespectful wife doesn't relieve a husband of his call to do what? Love, nurture, right, and and lay down his life for his wife, just as Christ loved the church and laid down his life for her, all right? Her behavior doesn't alter his responsibility, okay? Disobedient children don't excuse uh, bitterness and exasperation in parents. Well, I wouldn't be so exasperating if you were just a better kid. It doesn't work like that, okay, right? As parents, we're called to fulfill our duty, right, and our charge, right? And so, and then of course, the same is true with, for you children, with imperfect parents. Imperfect parents don't excuse you from striving to obey them in everything as unto the Lord, because it's to the Lord that you will give an account. God is the object of our obedience, all right? So we honor and obey for his sake. We do it ultimately because God tells us to do it. All right. This doesn't mean we're not striving and trying to make each other better. You don't just have to settle, right? We help each other. We want each other to grow. So we help each other to do this with joy and in that harmony we talked about. All right? So I'm not saying like settle and just, you know, but sometimes you do have to just settle and you just have to deal with it. Right? And you do the best you can for you to honor the Lord. Don't you love what, what, Jesus told, um, what Jesus told Peter? You know, at the end, he was telling Peter, basically, I'll make this quick, so I'm just going to really paraphrase it. But he's basically telling Peter, Peter, you know, when you were young, you used to do what you want to do, but not anymore. And you're going to basically going to have to die a martyr's death for my sake. Right? And that's what he's essentially telling him. And then Peter looks over at John and says, well, what about him? You know, what's going to happen to John? (laughs) And, you know, I love Jesus' response. He says, you know, what is that to you 
if he, if he stays alive until the very end, all right, only you follow me, all right, that's beautiful, that's right, all right, and that's the target. My aim, and I pray that your aim is, look, no matter what my circumstances are, the people around me doing, it's no excuse for me. I want to follow Christ. My aim is to please him. Even if the world around me falls and falters and fails, I want to please Christ. I will, I will honor the Lord in what I do and in how I respond. It's beautiful. All right, now, and then last phrase, children, all right, it says, obey your parents in the Lord. Last phrase in verse one says, for this, and that's all we're gonna be able to cover today, just to, <laughs> you can wipe the sweat off your brow. We're not gonna really be able to get into great passages on this idea of honoring the heart attitude of just honoring your parents. Now that stays and lasts beyond the obedience. Your whole life you're striving to honor your parents. But anyway, getting ahead and just time won't allow that today. All right, so last phrase, why do we obey? All right, because we're doing it for the Lord's sake. And then it just simply says, for this is right. It's fitting and right. Obedience is a fitting and right thing, isn't it? All right, could also be translated for this is righteous. This is the right thing to do before the Lord. All right, authority, listen, is inescapable for all of us. We are all under authority because God is creator and king and Lord. He created us, he has saved us, and we belong to him, and therefore, we will all give an account to him. And just, just ponder with me for a few more minutes, all right? The opposite of obedience. What's the opposite of obedience and submission? Right, rebellion, all right? And we know that rebellion is wrong, it's wicked. It's what Satan promoted in the Garden of Eden in the very beginning. He questioned God's authority and he planted those seeds of doubt and rebellion in, in Eve's heart. And he said, did God really say Right, And then you know the story from there. All right, And then when Adam and Eve succumbed to that, rebellion ushered into humanity. And it's the source of our ills and our strife. Right, And so um, obedience, all right, it's just right. Disobedience is sinful. It's wrong. But obedience, it simply says about it, listen, this is right. I love the parallel verse back again to, chapter, to Colossians 3. It says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Isn't that a great parallel passage just to kind of help you understand what's going on here? In Ephesians 6, 1, it says, children, obey your parents, for this is right. In Colossians 3, 20, it says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And we know that's true, right? The things that are right and holy, all right, please the Lord. All right, so see the connection, all right? And everything from us, again, should be done in a manner, all right, that's striving to please the Lord. So in conclusion, I wanna just give a simple summary and an exhortation, and I want us to peer in, all right? So if your fingers aren't there, kind of still have your, 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 your Bible open to around Ephesians 5 and 6, all right? I wanna just kind of close out with just something here. Simple summary and an exhortation. Listen. All right, so based on everything we've read and studied, you've been great. Thank you for your attention, all right? And I pray that God's just, uh, just sanctifying you and speaking to you and working in you. Listen, so in summary, as we read this, we see absolutely and objectively there is a God-honoring and a spirit-filled way to exist in your particular calling. 
and in your roles in every season of life. I'll shorten it. All right, just a, there's a God-honoring way for you to exist, all right? That's, and that's the call. Two, and if we're going to live our lives in a God-honoring way and carry out our calling in a manner worthy of him, then we must follow the pattern and the exhortations laid out for us by God, right? As in our personal lives, in our body life, and in our homes and in our families, all right? So in other words, we must strive to do the things the Bible commanded us to do. Put off your old self, right? And put off your old ways. John the Baptist said it like this, produce fruit in keeping with repentance to, 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 to obey God and to fulfill these responsibilities in his calling in your life. You're gonna have to be repenting, right? You're gonna have to be putting off the old self, right? And putting sin to death. Also, it says, and, but don't just leave a vacuum, put on the new self, which is created in the likeness of God. And we must be filled with the spirit and with the word of Christ. So you listen, again, and in closing, because this was intended to be just kind of woven throughout, you need the spirit. You know how hard this is, all right? It goes, everything within us wants to buck authority, Right, I heard a pastor one time tell a story. I don't remember who. It was real short. And he basically said, he got up. It was a Saturday and he was eating breakfast. And he just thought, I'm, you know what? I'm going to straighten it. I had a den in the basement. Oh, I wish I could remember who this was. And he said, and I went to, and I was thinking, you know, after breakfast, I'm going to go straighten up the den in the basement. I think he said he's about 12 years old. And then, but during breakfast, guess what his mom said? Oh, after breakfast, I want you to go clean the basement. And he was like, he said, and I just felt that temptation, like all of a sudden it was something I wanted to do, which is fine. What a blessing he wanted to do that. But he just said, but he felt that struggle as soon as his a mom said, hey, go clean the basement. It, it, he felt like it robbed him of something. And now he starts wrestling with, now I almost don't want to do it. What is that within us, right? We have a sinful nature, all right? We all tend, all right? We all tend as humans to fall so short and to wrestle with these things, Okay, there's no temptation that, that you have that's not common to all of us. We share these temptations. So we must walk by the Spirit. Your mind must be renewed. Fill your minds and hearts with the gospel, with the word of Christ. Sing songs, listen, all right? Listen to scripture songs, get Thai CDs, okay? Fill your minds and your hearts as much as you can with the things of Christ, the things of the gospel. Because the ultimate goal of this, last little verse, last little part, Ephesians 5, 1 says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. The chief end of man is to glorify God, which means our greatest purpose for living is to honor him, to know him and to walk with him. And we bring him great glory when we, in faith and joy, imitate him, when we strive to be like him in everything. When the desires of our heart, when your goals, when your motives, when your treasure lines up with God and reflects him, then you are living out your great purpose, all right? Which brings great glory to God and it brings you your greatest joy. And don't miss that little phrase that's connected with it as we're exhorted to imitate God. This is crucial and beautiful as beloved children. You hear it? You see it? As beloved children. If you are a child of God, 
justified and adopted into God's family through faith in Christ alone, you are greatly loved. God has done everything for you. God has done everything necessary, all right, to make you the eternal recipient of everlasting love. You needed forgiveness. You needed someone to not treat you as your sins deserved. Done. He did that. You needed the curse removed. Because of our sin and rebellion, we're under a curse. You needed that taken care of. Done. The curse has been reversed. Jesus took the curse for you. You needed righteousness, right? You need a righteousness outside of yourself that can, that can, that can grant you presence, right, with God. Because, because of our sin, forgiveness is not enough. God could say, you're forgiven, now just cease to exist. No, that, that's not God's design. He forgave us, right, and justified us, and he, and, he, and he, in propitiation, covered us with his blood, right, and he, and he gives us his righteousness. So we, we needed forgiveness, done. Now you need righteousness so that you can enter paradise and heaven with him. You got it done. Your eyes were blind. You needed someone to open your eyes to see this and understand this. Done. Okay. You were dead. You and your cold stony heart and you needed someone to regenerate you, to give you life. All right. To give you a new and living heart. Done. You are weak and you need the spirit of God dwelling in you to help you to will and to act for God's good pleasure and to complete the work that he began in you. Guess what? You got it. Done. He's done it all. God's done everything in love. Beloved, in love, God has done everything for you and has given you everything needed for life and godliness and eternal life. Let's close. I want to close with this quote from Alexander McLaren. He's a commentator from the 19th century, uh, pastor and theologian. And here's what he says about this, this phrase. The sense of being loved will make one loving and nothing else will. The only power that will eradicate our natural tendency to make ourselves the center is the recognition that there at the heart and on the central throne of the universe and the divinest thing in it there sits perfect and self-sacrificing love. And the beams warm even us. The only flame that kindles love in a man's heart, whether it be to God or to man, is the recognition that he himself stands in the full sunshine of that blaze from above and that God has greatly loved him. Love begets love. And according to Paul and John and to the master of them both, if a man loves God, then that glowing beam will glow, whether it's turned to earth or to heaven. So know the love of Christ, and I pray that you will. And as we come and share in this table, right, you see it, you're reminded, it's a picture for you. So uh, let's pray and let's prepare to come to the table. Father God, we thank you so much for uh, this morning. Thank you for your word to us. Thank you that you uh, have loved us with an everlasting love and you do love us with an everlasting love. And in spite of our sin and our brokenness and our rebellion, Lord, in our darkness, you came and you have done everything necessary for us. Lord, I pray that, that we know that. And I pray for our precious children, Lord. Lord, I pray and we pray together 
Lord, I know I'm just joining in with the hearts of every parent and every, and every member and brother and sister in this room. We pray earnestly for the salvation of our children and we pray for the sanctification of our children. Lord, those that don't know you, as Jeremy already prayed, Father, grant them salvation, that they may know this faith that will make obeying you and obeying their parents a joy, not a grudge. Lord, we pray that they will know you and that you will open their eyes and, and uh, save them. Lord, to the rest of us, to our believing children, thank you for saving them. Lord, please grow them, help them. It is very hard, Lord, to, to honor you in this. It's very hard for all of us. And their role and their calling to obey is, is, is filled with many challenges and difficulties. Lord, give them to grace to see you in it, to do what they do as unto the Lord, that they may exercise their faith, right? And, and, and not letting anyone look down on them because they are young, but even in their youth, Lord, setting the example and living for Christ uh, in all that they do. Lord, help us all as your children to have these, this heart of obedience. Help us to joyfully and willfully submit ourselves to you and to all that you have called us to do and to be. Thank you for loving us. As we come to the table now, Lord, we pray that you will just remind us and fill our hearts with your grace. Your body was broken for us. Your blood was poured out for us and for our salvation. We remember that and we share in that and we rejoice in that now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.